Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Y'all doing all right this morning? All right, very good, very good. Glad that you're here to worship with us. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and uh, the, I'm the pastor here. And uh, if you're joining us via our podcast, uh, glad that you are listening wherever and whenever that uh, might be. Uh, just wanted to uh, uh, make mention that we're kicking off this brand new series called Faithful here over these next few weeks, and I'm so glad that some of you have submitted these pictures, and uh, it is uh, in effort to remind us of uh, the different relationships that we have where we need to remain faithful. If we were to uh, take a survey in a room this size, if we were to survey everyone in, in uh, this room, I would imagine that uh, if we were to ask the question, uh, how many uh, degrees have been conferred upon you, uh, you know, high school degrees, college education, graduate degrees, I would imagine in a room this size there'd be hundreds of degrees. And um, for some of you, you've spent literally a lifetime pursuing different degrees, and uh, it's been your whole life, it's been everything that you've been doing. And uh, so I would imagine that there are hundreds of different degrees that are represented here. Some of you may be in the middle of continuing your education as you know adults and and pursuing great you know greater degrees and that sort of thing. Um, I've spent uh, five plus years uh, pursuing my seminary degree, and I'm on yet another break. So anyway, so I understand what it means to have a lifetime of being involved in education. But despite all of that education, experts tell us. I want you to catch this. Experts tell us that only 15% of our ability to get a job, to keep a job, and to move forward in that job, only 15% of of, uh, our ability to do so comes from our knowledge and our skills that are learned in the academic world. It's interesting because uh, according to Stanford Research, Harvard University, and the Carnegie Foundation, they tell us that 85% of our ability to get a job to keep a job and to move forward in a job comes from this. It is our ability to relate to other human beings. Isn't that interesting? 15% based on our education, 85% based on how we react and interact with humans around us. And some of you are like, wow, Todd, you have just totally depressed me because of the money that I've spent on my education or my kids' education, okay? And students, don't use that against your parents, okay? All right, don't use that stat against your parents. I think it's safe to say that in our world, in our life as humans, our ability to relate, to empathize, to connect with other humans is what makes us, it's one of the major determining factors that make us successful in life. Faithfulness to a relationship is one of the key ingredients to allowing our relationships to become successful, to allowing those relationships to be honoring to God and to be glorifying to God. Yet faithfulness is one of those things that society doesn't focus on when it comes to relationships. You know, we'd be hard-pressed to find in society a relationship, whether it's a husband and wife, whether it's a a, a father-son, a a parent-child, brother-sister. We'd be hard-pressed to find a relationship that society uh, uh, respects and that society views that's defined by faithfulness. And so over the course of these next few weeks, 
I want to draw four different aspects of what it means from God's word, from scripture, to, be, to remain faithful in the relationships that we have with those people that we love. Whether they're acquaintances, whether they're husband or wife, as I knock over the microphone, whether there are friendships, whether there are parents, students, the Bible has a lot to say about how we as people can remain faithful. Paul in the book of Romans chapter 12, and that's not where we're going to be today, but this is our springboard verse for these next few weeks. Paul says this. I love the way the New Living Translation says it. Paul says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Do you hear that? He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is evil. Hold tightly to what is good. And then verse 10 in Romans 12 says this. Love each other with a genuine affection. I love that word picture, don't you? Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Faithfulness to relationships is difficult, but God's word says that we have a responsibility to do that. If you're a Christ follower in here today, and whether it is a parent relationship, whether it is a husband and wife relationship, whether it's a friendship, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, we have a responsibility to remain faithful to those relationships. It's one of those things that we can do to honor and give glory to God is to be faithful in our relationships. So over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to extend forgiveness to someone who has harmed you. We're going to talk about what it means to operate with a basis of respect in a relationship. We're going to talk about what it means to have this little thing called patience in relationships. That's going to be a fun one, isn't it? And then we're going to talk about what it means to have a long-lasting commitment in our relationships. Let's pray before we dive in to our first one this morning. Father God, I pray that you would guide our thoughts, guide our minds. Father, may your Holy Spirit be in this place, and may he lead us into all truth and knowledge that comes from you and your word. God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts. As David said, find any wicked way within us and help cleanse that from our lives, God. I pray for people who walked in here today and they've been harmed, they've been wronged, by someone in their life, maybe even someone who's very close to them. God, I pray that today's message will speak truth and that it will bring about change, lasting change. Help us to understand what forgiveness is and how it was demonstrated all the way back in the Old Testament. And may we practice it in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're going to find that our main point this morning is pretty simple. It's this, it's in your notes. Being faithful in our relationships means that we learn to forgive one another. You're like, great, thanks, Todd. I wanted this this morning on Super Bowl Sunday, but that's where we're going. There's a man in the Bible by the name of Joseph that we're going to be talking about this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis. We're going to be in several different chapters from 42 through about 45 And we're going to take a look at this man who had pain. He was reconciled. And we're going to specifically take a look at the forgiveness that he was able to offer to extend in the midst and in the face of some terrible circumstances that he faced in his life, circumstances that were forced upon him by someone else. Now, this man, Joseph, I'm going to give you a lot of background this morning, and we're going to draw three points that I think we can learn about 
uh, faithfulness and forgiveness from the life of Joseph. But let me give you this, a little bit of the story of his life, because we have to understand the context of why we're talking about this today, why we're talking about it in the context of relationships. This man named Joseph was born. His father, you're like, great, Todd, he was born. That's pretty obvious. Okay, his father was a man named Jacob, and Jacob's dad was Isaac. Do you know who Isaac's dad was? Abraham, okay, Father Abraham, right? You sang it maybe in Sunday school. You want me to sing it this morning? No, that's okay. I'll, I'll spare you that. I um, <laughs> know you don't. Uh, anyway, Jacob was in line from Abraham. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. It's my son's birthday today, by the way. Sean turns five years old uh, uh, five years ago today. Um, we were in the middle of everything. So anyway, he was born around 7 o'clock, and uh, man, he's exactly what I prayed for in a son. He's a great kid, but I can't imagine having 11 others of him. Let me tell you, he's five years old, and I can't even imagine having 11 others. Jacob was one of 11, but his story is really interesting. We, or, uh, Joseph was one of 11. His story is really interesting. You have to take a look at his father's life to understand why it was so interesting. Jacob as a young man, sees a woman there, and she's, she's uh, uh, doing some work, and, and he sees her, and her, her name is Rachel. And he absolutely falls in love with Ra Rachel. It's love at first sight. And so he goes to Rachel's father, a man named Laban, and he says, Laban, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, yeah, you know what? You can do that, but you have to work for me for seven years. And he goes, absolutely, I will absolutely do that. So he works for seven years in a story that's related to some other things that we may cover sometime. Laban tricks Jacob, and he doesn't actually marry Rachel at first. He marries Rachel's sister, Leah. And he's tricked, and so he goes back to Laban, and he says, I'll do whatever it takes to marry Rachel. Poor Leah. Anyway, so Jacob, is, Jacob is, uh, uh, really wants to marry the love of his life, Rachel. And so he goes to Laban, and he says, whatever it takes, and he says, seven more years and you can marry Rachel, and so he finally marries Rachel. Well, in the meantime, Leah begins to have kids, boys specifically, five of them. And so she has five children, actually six children, and then there are some maidservants that uh, Jacob has children with, and boy, it was a different time back then. And so anyway, so Jacob, Jacob is having children like crazy, and he's got all these children, but the one that he really loves, Rachel, is barren. She can't have children, or at least seemingly so. And he is just upset. This is the woman that he absolutely loves. He absolutely adores her. And he wants more than anything in the world to have a child with the love of his life, Rachel. And God honors him. And finally, our boy Joseph is born. The focus of our message today, Joseph is born. And Jacob loves Joseph. He's the 11th son that's born. Rachel has another son, son named Benjamin, and so Benjamin and Joseph are 100% blood brothers. But Jacob absolutely loves Joseph, and his brothers and his wives and their servants and their maidservants, everybody knows that he does not even try to hide the fact that he's got a favorite son, and his name is Joseph. And some of you are like, man, you just described my sibling. Mm -hmm. Yep, mm -hmm. they got all the good clothes, they got all the good education, they got all the good food. So, some of you are in relationships like that. You're in families like that. You're like, you know what? They get all the good stuff. That was Joseph and that was his 11 brothers. And guess what the Bible says? It says repeatedly 
that they hated him. His brothers hated him. And then to add insult to injury, Joseph is what his brothers call a dreamer. And he has a dream, and the interpretation of that dream is that his brothers and their whole family would one day bow down before him and that he would be lifted up. So this story gets worse and worse and worse for poor Joseph. I mean, his brothers already hate him because he's that special child. He's that, you know, loved by his father. His father makes a coat for him. We get the Joseph and the coat of many colors. You've heard that, about that before. That's because uh, Jacob wanted to express his deep love for the firstborn from the wife that he loved. And his brothers hate him. And so we see in Genesis, his brothers begin to plot his demise and his destruction. Now, they're all out tending their sheep and tending their herds and their flocks one day, and his brothers begin to plot against him. Jacob sends Joseph out to talk to his brothers. He doesn't realize he's sending Joseph to his demise. His brothers want to kill him. Now, his, one of his two older brothers, a couple of his two older brothers, Reuben and uh, Judah, uh, kind of come to their senses, and they decide this. They decide, we shouldn't kill him. That's not the right thing to do. We're going to sell him into slavery because that's so much better than killing him. So anyway, so they decide, you know what? Instead of killing him, we're going to put him in a pit, and we're going to decide what to do with him. And all of a sudden, some of their cousins, the Ishmaelites, come along, and they sell their brother to their cousins into slavery. I mean, this is just, you can't make this stuff up. It's unbelievable what's going on here. And so Joseph is sold to Ishmaelites. They trick their father. They go back to him. They trick their father, Jacob, into thinking that the firstborn from Rachel is now dead. And Jacob mourns. He is in so much mourning, the Bible says that no one could help him get over the mourning that he was going through because he thought that Joseph had died. And so Joseph is pulled out of the pit, sold to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sell him to the Egyptians. Now, the Egyptian nation at the time was the most powerful nation on earth. They were great warriors. They were great builders. And Joseph finds himself a slave to Pharaoh the king's second man in charge, Potiphar. And the story goes that uh, Joseph serves Potiphar very well. The Bible says several times that God was with Joseph, and he rose to great influence. But there was one problem. Joseph, the Bible says, was very handsome. And Potiphar's wife begins to seduce Joseph. It says day after day. And Joseph remained righteous before God. Well, one day in her trying to seduce him, she grabs his coat of many colors and Joseph flees and he takes off and she's left holding that and she claims and, and uh, uh, charges him with great crimes. And Potiphar has Joseph thrown into prison where he would eventually remain for the next two, some people think probably three years. So Joseph now is in prison. This man has been sold by his own blood brothers. He has been, uh, he rose to great prominence there in Egypt, and now he finds himself in prison. I would imagine that if this were you and me at this point in time, there'd be a little hint of bitterness that would be in our lives towards our brothers, wouldn't there be? Just a little bit of bitterness. Well, the Bible continues to say that God was with Joseph. And even in prison, he rose to great prominence. He began to um, interpret dreams. As a matter of fact, the baker and the cupbearer to the Pharaoh, which were two of the most important positions in all of Egypt, because guess what they got to do? They got to test his food and his water to make sure that the Pharaoh didn't die. Guess who dies 
in that situation if the Pharaoh doesn't die, okay? The cupbearer and the baker. Okay, so the cupbearer and the baker make the Pharaoh mad, and he throws him into prison. Well, guess who gets to look over the cupbearer and the baker? Joseph. And Joseph interprets their dreams, the great dreamer, as his brothers call him, and he interprets them correctly. The baker is put to death, and the cupbearer goes back to the king, the Pharaoh, and he is reinstated to his position as cupbearer and to his prominence and influence and that sort of thing. The Pharaoh hears about this. One day he has a dream that nobody in the land can explain. So guess who he gets to explain his dream? Our buddy Joseph. Pulls him out of prison. He has him interpret his dream. And here's the interpretation of the Pharaoh's dream. Joseph says to Pharaoh, the interpretation is, is that there's going to be seven years in the land that's going to be great. It's it's called the seven years of plenty. And there's going to be great gain that will come from the ground. We will have harvests and crops beyond our wildest imagination. But it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And so that's exactly what happens, is the whole land enters into a period of seven years of great gain and then seven years of famine. And Joseph tells the Pharaoh that this is going to happen. And he says, what you need to do is you need to have someone who is in charge during the seven years of plenty of keeping all the grain, keeping all the produce from the land to save it and distribute it correctly so that during the seven years of famine, we're going to be okay. And you know what the king, Pharaoh, does? He goes, well, guess who that's going to be? It's going to be you. And so after two years in prison, after being sold into slavery, after being, uh, going uh, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, Joseph finds himself as the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. The Bible says that the Pharaoh said that there's only one person, there's only one person that's just below the Pharaoh in terms of being able to do things in Egypt and that's Joseph. He finds himself in an incredibly influential position. Now, there are so many lessons that we can learn from Joseph, but the real lesson for today is about forgiveness, and it's found in when he re-encounters his brothers. You see, the whole land goes through this period of, of plenty, and Joseph is the one that keeps all the food. He's the one that keeps all the grain, But then the seven years of famine come along, and Joseph's the one who's in charge of making sure that that grain is distributed correctly. Well, guess what? The famine didn't just happen there in Egypt. It also happened in Canaan, where his brothers and his father and his mother live. And so they're in Canaan, and Jacob the dad is concerned about his family. Experts tell us that at this point in time, Jacob and all of his brothers and their children and grandchildren had expanded to be 70 people, roughly 70 people at that point in time. And he sends his brother, or he sends his son, Jacob sends his son into Egypt to go find grain and buy grain from the Egyptians. And guess where his sons end up? They end up in the court of Pharaoh, in front of their brother that they had previously sold into slavery into Egypt. And guess what they're doing? They're bowing down before him, laying their gold and their silver down, begging and asking for grain so they can take back to their family so they can survive this great famine that's going on. Joseph's dream, Joseph's interpretation of that dream, it all happens exactly like God told him it would happen. Now, at that point in time, though, his brother's they have no idea who he is. 
They're bowing down for, uh, before the, what's called the vicar, the, the head of, of Egypt underneath the Pharaoh, and they're bowing down before him, asking for his help. And Joseph is on the verge of either becoming incredibly bitter because he recognizes his brothers, or he's on the verge of becoming better and forgiving them and offering them forgiveness. Now, there are several things that happen in this situation. They go back and forth. But one thing that happens is right out of the gates, right out of the gates, Joseph, this great man of God, this great righteous man of God, who the Bible says that God was continually with, right out of the gates, he has trouble forgiving his brothers for what they did. It's our first point this morning. Take a look at your notes. We can learn several lessons from the life of Joseph. The first one is this. Forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is a process. And some of you are in here today and you're like, yeah, Todd, it really is. Because the way that I've been harmed, you have no idea how much forgiveness is a process. Can you imagine what Joseph was going through? He was sold as a slave. And all of a sudden, he's Lord over his brothers. And he has a great opportunity. And to be quite honest, right out of the gates, he doesn't take that opportunity to immediately forgive his brothers. Take a look at Genesis 42, 6 through 7. Now Joseph was the governor of all the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asks. And then he goes on to uh, uh, accuse them of spying on the nation of Egypt. He goes on to send them on their way and trick them into thinking that they were thieves. For some of you in here, you've been harmed, you've been wronged. It might not have been weeks ago. It might not have been months ago. It might have been years ago. And you're still dealing with the pain that goes along with that harm and that hurt guess what? It takes a while to forgive sometimes. Take solace in the fact that even this great man of God, even this great man of God who was so righteous, even he had moments of trickery. Even he had moments of manipulating the situation to try to cast judgment on his brothers. Take a look at what Joseph did later in this chapter in verses 17 through 21. And he put them all in custody for three days. Now, his brothers come to him twice. This is still the first time. He, they, uh, he put them in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. That's quite an ultimatum. Think about that. Do this one thing that I'm about ready to tell you, and you will live, because I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay back in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring the youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Now, it's pretty interesting at this moment because I think Joseph knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that there was one son that his father Jacob loved as much as him. And he knew that his father Jacob thought he was dead. So he knew that Benjamin, his 100% blood brother from Rachel, would be the one person that his father would love. And he wanted to see, Joseph wanted to see Benjamin so bad. 
He wanted to verify that his father was in good health. He wanted to see his blood brother. And he tells, he tells his brothers, he tells those ones who sold him into slavery that they've got to bring, they've got to bring Benjamin back with them when they come back. Well, they leave, they go back, they provide grain, and they do come back, and they bring Benjamin with them. And Judah, one of the older brothers, promises Father Jacob. He says, I promise you I will take care of Benjamin. I will make sure that he, no harm comes upon him. We will go back to Egypt. We will get more grain from this man who is in charge of all the grain, and we will come back, and we will come back with Benjamin. Secondly, from the life of Joseph, not only does forgiveness take time, not only is it a process, but forgiveness can provide healing to our emotional wounds. Forgiveness can provide healing to our emotional wounds. Joseph's brothers find themselves coming back into the land of Egypt. They find themselves once again bowing down before their brother, unbeknownst to them who he is, and they find themselves in his court asking for grain. And Joseph once again has the opportunity to either forgive or to become bitter in this situation. And Joseph is on the verge of doing that, and you kind of get the sense as you read the story that he's starting to come around, that he's starting to get to that place of forgiveness. He offers them this great feast and this great party that he puts on for them, and they're wondering why in the world is this man who previously accused us of being spies, why in the world is he putting on this feast for us? Well, you can tell that Joseph is becoming tender towards his brothers and towards what they did, and he's beginning to get to the point of forgiveness. But he tells them in chapter 44 that they need to keep Benjamin back. This is 100% blood brother. That He says, I want you to keep Benjamin, and he is going to serve as my slave. Now, all of a sudden, Judah, the one son that had promised Jacob, the father, that he was going to take care of Benjamin, all of a sudden, he is scared of what's going to happen because he made a promise to his father that he was going to take care of his little brother. And so he explains this to Joseph. Take a look at what happens in Genesis 45, 1 and 2. At that point in time, when Judah was done explaining the fact that his father was still alive and that Benjamin was uh, this favored son now and, and that he was taking care of him, that Judah and his brothers were taking care of Benjamin, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his tenants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Now put yourself in the brother's shoes for just a moment. All of a sudden, this man who you think is second in charge of all of Egypt, who's giving you this grain, all of a sudden he says, I'm your brother. I'm the one that you guys sold into slavery. Take a look at verse 2. He, he says, uh, uh, and, they, and he wept so, oh, back in, in verse 1, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about him. Joseph was in such great pain, and I think this was a turning point in his life because he so is in so much grief, maybe about what he's done now to his brothers, the manipulation that he's done. But I think he's going through a healing process at this point. You know, it's interesting about forgiveness, this whole idea of forgiveness. When someone has wronged you or when they've harmed you, when you actually get to the point that you forgive them, I mean true forgiveness, when you get to the point that you actually do forgive them, you know who's healed in that relationship? You. You're the one who's healed. 
You see, in a strained relationship, in a broken relationship, in a relationship where there's been harm done, the one who extends forgiveness is the one who is healed. Are you with me this morning? The one who extends the forgiveness is the one who's healed. Joseph is going through so much pain. He's going through so much emotion. And I think he has a breakthrough at this point when he sends everyone out of his courts and he explains to them that he is, in fact, the brother that they sold into slavery. You know, there's a lesson to be learned about forgiveness, kind of a lesson within a lesson. And it's this. Forgiveness is expressed in its, to its greatest degree by the demonstration of forgiveness. It's expressed through actions. It's not expressed through words, is it? You can say to someone that you forgive them, but until you actually behave and act like you have forgiven them, that's when true forgiveness takes place. Joseph gets to that point. Take a look at the next few verses there. And it's our third point this morning. Forgiveness cannot take root in a heart that is bitter towards others. Take a look at these next few verses, 3 through 11. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I'll bet they were. I mean, they've been coming to this guy for grain. They, they didn't know that he was the brother that they had sold into slavery. They were terrified at his presence. Look what Joseph does. He said to his brothers, come close to me. I love that verse. Don't you love that verse? It expresses in the face of the greatest harm that was caused upon Joseph in his life. It expresses an intimacy with his brothers. He says, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because, uh, because uh, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. See, Joseph realized that in the midst of that pain, in the midst of the hurt, part of forgiveness is realizing what God's doing with your life. And it's doing the most with what you have. And he realized that God was using him to help protect his family. So then it was, verse 8, so that, it, so that it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of this entire household, and ruler over all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. Goshen was the best part of Egypt. And he's telling them that they all get to come and live there. Your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all belong to you will become destitute. Do you sense bitterness in Joseph's life? Not at all. Not at all. He was on the verge. He was at the very point of trying to decide whether he was going to get over that or not. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to forgive. But I'm not going to do it with words. I'm going to do it with actions. I'm going to give them the best in the land. I'm going to do what I can to express to my brothers that I've forgiven them. You know the great point of this whole story? Yes, it's the lessons that we can learn. 
It's the beauty of forgiveness. It's the fact that a faithful relationship is defined when we truly forgive like Joseph did. You know what the greatest part of the story is? Is without Joseph offering that amazing forgiveness to his brothers, without that act, God doesn't have an opportunity to save a nation from the grips of the Egyptian army. You see, several generations later, it was Moses who led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Joseph, in forgiving uh, his brothers, leads the whole 12 tribes of Israel, 70 people into Egypt. They settle in the area of Goshen. They're given the best. They're given the greatest. They multiply. In fact, experts, theologians tell us that within several generations that it went from 70 people, catch this, to 600,000 people. No wonder that Pharaoh, one of the firstborn children, killed, and Moses led them out of, the, out of Egypt into freedom. You see, without Joseph's forgiveness towards his brothers, we would not have had the opportunity to watch God deliver his people. And that was a precursor, that was an example, that was a sign to us of the deliverance that he would make by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins. Those two acts, that exodus out of Egypt and what God did on the cross through Jesus are inextricably linked. And so without the forgiveness of Joseph, we wouldn't have had that epic story. We wouldn't have had Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, okay? <laughs> what he does changes the course of history. And I want you to catch this. Don't miss this this morning. Some of you are in here today and you're like, yeah, I've been wronged. I've been wronged by those who are closest to me. My blood relatives, my husband or my wife, my best friend wronged me in ways that are unimaginable. You know what? You can change the course of your life when you get to the point that you offer forgiveness to that other person. The Bible doesn't say that we forget that. Man made it up. Forgive and forget. The Bible doesn't say that. We're going to always remember the pain, aren't we? That's just part of being human. But we can offer forgiveness. And when we do, we flourish. When we do, we flourish in our walk with God. I've got this plant up here. This is called a flamingo plant, I think. I really know nothing, but that's what I saw, a flamingo plant. It's a beautiful plant. It's nice to look at. You thought I got it for me for Valentine's Day, didn't you? You thought it was a gift for me to me. It's not. This plant is nourished, is brought together by a very delicate and intricate root system. The soil that's in here has minerals and water. And it provides life to the rest of this plant. That's why it's a beautiful flamingo plant. Deep green leaves, pink, red flowers. This plant is beautiful because of its root system. But if you have some other tree, if you have some other, uh, uh, some other bush or anything else that's near this plant that has roots that are stronger, it chokes the life out of this plant. And all of a sudden, it turns brown. Its leaves fall off. They die and all of a sudden, its life support system is choked off. That's what unforgiveness will do in the life of a Christ follower. It will choke. It will literally choke your spiritual life. And so some of you are here today, and that's the thing that's holding you back in your walk with God. You have an unforgiven heart. You have an unforgiven spirit. And if you don't 
rid your life of that, you'll shrivel up and die in your walk with God. Some of you are in here today and Man, you've said, you've uttered the words, I forgive you for that thing that you have caused in my life, but you actually haven't forgiven them in your heart. And some of you need to get to that point today. You know, God forgave us, didn't he? He forgave us of the sin of humanity when he sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. Joseph's a good model of forgiveness, but God's model is even better, isn't it? He sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life. You want to have a faithful, long-lasting relationship with family, friends? Learn what it means to truly forgive others. Father God, thank you for this example. Thank you for this model of Joseph. Great pain was brought upon him, was forced upon him by those who were supposed to love him the most. And God, he was healed because he expressed forgiveness to those who harmed him. God, there may be some folks in here who have been harmed, they've been wronged, they've been hurt. The emotion is great, the pain is great, sometimes overwhelming. And God, I pray for healing in those relationships right now. I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would restore those relationships that need to be restored. God, I pray that you would help those who have, uh, been, who have done the wrong to confess and be contrite before you and before those they've wronged. But God, I also pray that, there, that we would be a people who offer outrageous forgiveness, just like Joseph did, just like you did with us, God. That we would be people who offer outrageous forgiveness in those relationships that we have. And God, when we do that, we remain faithful to those friendships and those family and those relationships. God, I pray even right now that you would bring to mind someone in our minds that we have an unforgiven heart towards. And God, I pray for reconciliation in that relationship, God. God, the power of forgiveness is not in words. It's not even in contrition by the one who has done the wronging, God. It's when the one who has been wronged expresses with their life and their actions that they truly have offered forgiveness. And I pray for many restored relationships today. God, help us to be faithful. You were with us. God, if you forgave me of my sins, by sending your son to the cross, certainly I can forgive those who have wronged me. Help us to be people who understand that and practice it, God. In Jesus' name I pray.